you're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. Welcome to the Animation Deliberation Podcast, the podcast where we take action animation and cartoons seriously. On today's debut episode, we'll be covering the first two episodes of Young Justice Season 1 in preparation for Young Justice Season 4. All that and more after these ads that we have no control over. Welcome to the Action Animation Deliberation Podcast. My name is Jay Scotty St. Clair, and today I'm joined by my co-host and resident expert all things Young Justice, Zuhair Ali. How you doing, Zuhair? Doing well. Thanks for having me, bud. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, we've been talking about this for a little bit, but uh, it's exciting to finally sit down and uh, record the debut episode of this podcast. Super excited. Yeah, so uh, before we, we really get into the nitty-gritty of Young Justice, I want to kind of introduce ourselves, uh, give some of our background and our interest in the animation world, and uh, uh, why exactly we want to do this podcast and why we thought it'd be a good fit for the network. So, Zuhair, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Uh, growing up, I was a Cartoon Network guy. Didn't do too much Nickelodeon stuff. I was kind of dead set on the one channel. Uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, Courage the Cowardly Dog. But more for uh, storytelling stuff, I was into Spider-Man, X-Men, the Batman animated series, the Justice League one that followed. And then around middle school, I was really into anime, so I was into Dragon Ball Z, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Naruto. Uh, things of that sort is kind of what really built the interest for universe building and storytelling and all the fan fiction that comes along with it. Oh yeah, certainly. I would agree. Some of the series that you brought up were certainly uh, big influences on me as well. I was definitely a Cartoon Network kid as well as uh, a Nickelodeon kid. Uh, you mentioned Batman the Animated Series. That was definitely a big influence on me. I, I definitely remember going to see Max, uh, excuse me, Mask of the Phantasm in theaters. That was a, a defining experience for me. Um, I also think of you know uh, some of the stuff that came on Cartoon Network like uh, Dexter's Lab, Samurai Jack, that stuff from Gindy Tartakovsky. He he really had a, a unique vision and a way of animating action that I think um, has influenced a lot of animators going forward. So um, as far as the DC side of things, uh, I I have a cursory knowledge of the of the comics. I always like to say that I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the comics. I certainly watched. You know, Batman the Animated Series, uh, Batman Beyond, uh, the Justice League that spun off of those. And uh, I would certainly say that this series definitely kind of takes the, the, the torch or picks up the mantle from those. It's not a direct follow-up, but it is very much so influenced by those series. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, for me personally, it was... Um, I, didn't, I didn't grow up reading comics, but I liked superheroes. So, I haven't watched things like Batman the Animated Series or Justice League since I was a kid, but it was something that I watched enough that the heroes and villains that came up often enough were stuff I just kind of remembered over time. Aside from that, it's just more recent uh, movies and TV. So, the Dark Knight trilogy, the DCU universe right now. And um, the CW properties, such as mm. Arrow, Flash, uh, Legends of Tomorrow. So, when it comes to, like, the really nitty-gritty references, I tend to miss out on a lot of those. But I, I, I know just enough to keep a general conversation going. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're, we're kind of on the same page as far as that goes. And uh, you mentioned all these series and kind of how uh, they've gone on to influence some of the well, let me kind of backpedal there. I would I would say since we're of a, a similar age group and kind of grew up watching the same things, I know for myself, um, it was a lot of these animated series like Batman the Animated Series, the Spider-Man series from the 90s, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They gave me a keen interest in these larger-than-life stories and, you know, kind of these action set pieces that I think it's, it's interesting to see how iconic and influential those series were that they, they are kind of, they're really influencing what audiences are kind of seeking out as far as the blockbuster stuff goes. It's really interesting to see. Um, a lot of people don't want to take animation seriously, 
but I think you have to to look to these series and and look at them from more than a surface level um, perspective to re- to really appreciate them and see the influence that they've had. And I hope that that's what we do on this podcast. And I personally am guilty of not giving a few of these series the credit that it deserves. When I first heard about Young Justice and when it was on Netflix, I was just kind of like, why would I want to watch a show about the sidekicks? And essentially that's what the show is about, is we're more than just sidekicks. And I felt the same way about Clone Wars and Rebels, which after I watched and finished, I was like, I want to start this all over again. Like, it does start off, these shows do start off in a way that does intrigue to children, because they they do end up inevitably on networks that cater to that. So... There is a perception that we have of, like, it's animated, it's on Cartoon Network, why would it be good? Why would this be something that an adult wants to watch? Uh, And then when I finally gave the shows a shot, it was just kind of like, I missed when all the stuff was on Netflix, like, when it was actually easily acceptable, and I've just been, like, begging people to, like, watch these series, because the the storytelling is, this, this is a stretch, and I hope it doesn't affect anybody's perception of the show but i love young justice on an mcu level with how well they are at their storytelling and their universe building and kind of like keeping everything connected and rebels and clone wars are two other shows that do a great job at that and anime in general it's like any good anime is one that can build a universe that can stay self-contained and just come up with the possibilities of fan fiction so um my my perception has definitely changed. I was I was one of those guilty parties that was like, why would I want to watch this? But now it's like, if you can give me quality, I don't care if it's live action or uh, animated. Yeah, yeah. I love that you, you bring up your passion and love for the series and that it's on that, that level of one of the most popular franchises out there because it's kind of a, a good point to bring up why um, I thought you'd be a good co-host for this because as far as Young Justice goes... For years, I, I've always heard about the quality of the show and um, how good the storytelling was and, and the continuity. You know, given the the show's production history, you know, it, it debuted in 2010, um, going on 11 years ago now. And after the first two seasons, it was canceled in 2013. But the demand and the popularity was so fervent and high that uh, it actually came back for a third season in 2019. And now we know that we're getting a fourth season, which we expect will be coming uh, very soon in the first part of 2021 here, which is why we're going back and revisiting this first season. Uh, but a- another thing you brought up there, uh, something that we will be hitting on you know, frequently in this podcast is a lot of these shows, They, as you mentioned, they do, uh, they did originally debut on, on networks that are targeted towards kids. So uh, for me, that's, that's the fine line between, um, you know, a, a really solid animated series and something that's, more just kind of going through the motion is, and, and is made to, to create toys. And there's always a little bit of element of that in, in all of these series. They are there to, to bring in the kids. But if you can, you know, kind of transcend that and bring in the adults and entertain the adults. Um, and then on, on top of that, just the the artwork and the, the quality of the animation. Um, I'm always going to be there for that. If I can see that the work was put in and throughout just initially off these first few episodes that, that we're going to talk about i i'm very very impressed and i can see why you you have that kind of love and i think that is part of the reason people get so endeared to a series like that when the the time and energy is put in there and it's so evident oh boy do i have things about the to say about the animation quality in this show yeah get into it a little bit yeah what, what do you want to say you ready to dive right yeah, in yeah let's go for it all right so this is just talking about episode one and two um, I've watched this series before. This is probably my first rewatch in a couple of years, so I'm trying to keep it to the perspective of just trying to contain myself to these two episodes. Yeah. But one of my favorite things about this is that it is a very... Like, the characters and the style is very simple. They don't give everybody unique outfits. It's stuff that's, like, true to their original looks. Uh, it's very simple, very clean. But... It doesn't take away from how good the movements and everything are. So it's like you see these basic designs, these basic uh, color palettes that they use for all the characters. But as soon as the first fight scenes kick in, like these guys move. It's not Dragon Ball Z level arms just flailing around. Like they actually have solid fight choreography. 
between their punches, their kicks, the way their weapons move around, the way their powers are displayed. And that's something that I don't think I fully appreciated until I watched it just now, because when I watched it the first time, I was in college for photography, and I was talking to animation students about it. But now I've actually like been in my photography career for a while, and I'm a martial artist as well, so it's like I'm looking at this with a whole new set of eyes of like, they put a lot of detail into this. A lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, you you bring up the designs and how they're kind of... Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what you said. You said that they, they don't really stand out, maybe. And they are very simplistic. But uh, to me, they that's that's what's so nice about it. They are so simplified that... But the fact is that we're dealing with... More often than not, we're dealing with, uh, you know, three, four, five characters on screen... And what I, I'm really impressed by is I have no issues following the action and following where all these characters are at any given point in time, what they're doing. Uh, you mentioned the choreography. Yeah, it's you can tell they really storyboarded this out. And and I, I've already just alluded to the time and energy. It's it's there. And the action, it's, it's not gratuitous because, again, it is geared towards kids. They don't want to scare anybody. But there's impact. There were several times in just these first two episodes that I kind of, like, found myself like kind of sitting back in my chair a little bit and go wincing for the characters especially robin he he gets it pretty pretty rough at one point um oh yes yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah i i think the designs are really striking um they are very simplistic but there's a lot of sharp angles as far as like the shoulders go and and whatnot in the musculature um but i think it gives it a, a really unique sense of uh style and identity so i i, I dig it I think it it tends to pay pay a little bit of homage to the series that we talked about before with Batman the animated series. Mm. So they they and it's not to say that it's basic in a bad way. It's just a very intentional, simple, clean look. Mm. Um and it it does pay some respect to like the original look of some of these superheroes and then that style that of a show that we actually do admire. Uh, even now, it's something that's worth rewatching, and just 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 hats off to like how how simple they kept it so that it's easy to depict the character. Like you said, you always know who's on screen and who's doing what, mm. and like nothing ever really gets lost. Like you look at these characters and you can say like, oh, I recognize him from this, or I've seen him in this, or he's popped in in that. Like it's it's a look that can be passed on from the age. Like when Batman comes onto screen for the first time you have that comfort of understanding this is batman this is superman this is aquaman there's no crazy looks there's no super redesigns just this kind of like they're going off of what you know so that people who have comic book background can get excited about it but people who have never seen these characters before can actually just admire the way that they look and be like who is this person definitely um and we can kind of get into the characters since we've been talking about their designs so much, but uh, we, we we can go kind of any any particular order here if you want to go by the ones that people are most familiar with, or if I think it would be kind of cool to go by our our, fair, our favorite characters just initially right off the bat. One that I didn't have a lot of exposure to, and I really like the way he's adapted for this series as, as far as the way he's designed, um, his power set, uh, the voice actor behind him does a really excellent job, but it, for me, it's it's Aqualad, aka Calderon, um, who is you know the protege of Aquaman. He's the Atlantean protege of Aquaman. I actually I didn't know Aqualad was a person until I watched the show. Okay. The only reason I knew of I'm actually not sure if I knew of Kid Flash beforehand because I know he did make an appearance in the Flash CW show. Correct. But he may have popped up in that after Young Justice. So I'm not sure. We'd have to check some release date times on that. Uh, I Just off the top of my head, I want to say that's correct because Young Justice would have came out in 2010. Uh, the Flash was coming out around 2014. So Okay, so yeah. When I was initially watching the show... I didn't know who Speedy was. I didn't know who Kid Flash was. I didn't know who Aqualad was. Mm. And Robin, as the series intended, in my head, was just Batman sidekick. So all of their introductions were very interesting. And it's actually something I wrote into my notes. One of the things I was very impressed with is 
you understand a lot about their personalities and how they think and what their attitude is like before the opening theme song even kicks in. Oh yeah, that's a great point. So the show starts off with every sidekick making their appearance because the Cold family is attacking on different cities in the United States and every sidekick comes up with their mentor and they're always they're talking about what they're excited about. At this point, as an audience, we don't know what they're excited about, but it turns out that they're going to see the Hall of Justice for the first time. They're actually going to be working with the leaguers, which is a big deal for sidekicks because what would you say the age range of these characters are? Maybe like 14 to 17? I'd say that's... Calderon's probably the oldest. Yeah, Calderon definitely comes across as the oldest, and I'd say... Or maybe Speedy. Speedy and Calderon are probably around the same age, but 14 to 17 seems pretty fair. Okay, that sounds right. Um... So, taking the opportunity to see how they connect with their mentors, how they work together, and then what their personality traits are like. So, the first one that comes up is Robin, and they're going against Mr. Freeze. Hmm. And you hear the snicker. When it's time to give a truly special gift to that special someone in your life, why not turn to a jeweler you can trust? Solomon Brothers Jewelers is a family-owned business that's earned Atlanta's trust for decades with high quality, low prices, and the largest selection. Solomon Brothers has thousands of wedding bands, engagement rings, and loose diamonds in stock. Shop Solomon Brothers online at SolomonBrothers.com, SolomonBrothers.com, or stop by stores with locations in Buckhead or Alpharetta and experience the best. And then... Mr. Freeze is initially on guard, like, oh, snap, Batman's here. What's going on? And then you hear the Robin laugh, and it's just kind of like, oh, it's just you. It's just Boy Wonder. But he gets a good hit in with his batterings onto Mr. Freeze's helmet. Like, he's got him on his knees. So it's kind of like, you can talk shit all you want. Like, you're still on your knees against a kid right now. Mm. And then you see that excitement. But low-key, that sense of being terrified when Batman comes up. Oh, yeah. Because he's like, I wasn't talking to you. Mr. Freeze comes around, Batman comes up, and it's like, as much as you love the character, he is a character that demands respect. Oh, yeah. And he's a character that demands that you, like, shiver a little bit when you see him. So it doesn't matter if you're watching a cartoon, if you're watching him live action. When Batman comes on screen, your eyes widen up, and you're just like, uh... <laughs> And they got that presence within, like, the half a second that he popped up in that moment. Oh, yeah. And, um, and What were your thoughts on just Robin and Batman? Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with the, the points that you brought up there. Uh, Batman definitely does a good job of, of striking fear and terror in the few seconds of screen time he gets there. But what I loved about it is that he's able to do it in broad daylight. And one of the, the things I took away from that scene is um, this series, as opposed to a lot of uh, other other shows like I, I noticed it has uh it gives us dates so this takes place on july 4th which here in america that's you know independence day which is the name of the episode so it's kind of appropriate mm-hmm. that all these ice villains are are t- attacking it just kind of gives you that nice summary feel but uh you also alluded to the fact that we get our characters personalities in such a short amount of time and this i, I love the fact that uh this is the first time that we get a reference to a joke that's going to come up over the, the the couple of episodes here, but Robin likes to uh, do play on words, in, including the people, uh, the fact that people like to say that they're underwhelmed, overwhelmed, or aren't people just ever whelmed? And we get the first instance of that here. I've been I've been using the whelm thing for so many years now, and because nobody watches the show, <laughs> they never get what I'm saying. It's like, how are you feeling today? I'm just whelmed. What? It's like, just watch Young Justice, you'll get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after Batman and Robin, it was um, Green Arrow and Speedy that popped up. I think they were on a bridge. I can't remember if it was San Francisco or not. It looked like the Golden Gate Bridge. If it wasn't supposed to be, it was supposed to be somewhat like it. I know. Um, I know in the comics, Green Arrow is based out of Star City. Gotcha. So what were your thoughts on uh, on their appearance and the, the personality that you picked up on first view? Yeah, so Speedy definitely, he does a good job of uh, broadcasting his impatience. He doesn't even seem like he wants to entertain this fight for a second. Uh, he's very brash, cuts the villain off, doesn't want to do the chit-chat. And he, he's I think he's the first one to actually say, uh, this is the, today's the day. Let, like, let's get on. Let's, let's get at it. Let's, let's get this thing done. Today's the day. Um, which is interesting, you know, given Green Arrow, he's 
always kind of the, the smiley guy, given my previous exposures to him. It's kind of funny that his protege has so much angst. But uh, it was a good introduction. I, I Again, I liked the the action that was broadcast. Did a good job of show, showcasing his skill um, with the arrows, as well as the versatility, uh, excuse me, the versatility of the different types of uh, ammo he uses, as, as such the exploding arrows. Yeah, after watching the Arrow TV series for so long, because um, Stephen Amell as Oliver Queen was taking more of the Bruce Wayne Batman approach than he was, that lighthearted, goofy nature, uh, it was interesting dialing back to him being a goof mm. and just kind of being like out and about. Like, he's, he's jokey. He says what's on his mind. He tries to find a way to laugh at whatever and crack jokes and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, Speedy was definitely um, harsh and to the point and ready to kick butt. And he he means business. He personality wise, he is definitely the opposite of Oliver Queen. Yeah, and just one last quick little thing on, on Speedy. I thought it was kind of funny given his his gruff personality and kind of harshness. There, it was kind of a funny juxtaposition given the way that they decided to dress dress him in his full. Um, classic comic book from like the golden age regalia where he's got like the yellow hat and the uh red suit with the yellow um yellow finishes and whatnot he not very conspicuous at all stands out pretty blatantly (laughs) yeah that robin hood looking hat right 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 yeah he definitely had sidekick written all over him but don't let him hear you say that yeah right (laughs) i can't remember which i can't remember which show or movie said it but I vaguely remember a line, I think it it might have been from Titans, where they were like, remember when you always used to war, wear red and yellow? Like, you were the target. You were supposed to take the shot. Yes, this was definitely from Titans. Jason Todd said it. Where he was like, we're supposed to be the sidekicks. We're supposed to be who takes the attention away from Batman so that the so that Batman can do his thing. We are the human targets. And he was proud of it, and he was happy about it. So with Robin... And Speedy wearing those colors mm. of like, look at me, I'm the human target. Shoot me <laughs> so that Green Air could look. It's like it's it's interesting seeing that consistency between the characters in in regards to the the color choices. Oh yeah. Cause now that I'm thinking about it, Aqualad wears a red top and Kid Flash is all yellow with hints of red. So it's mm. like yellow is the official sidekick color. The official shoot me color. <laughs> yeah, and I, I kind of wonder not to take too much of a uh, a sidetrack here, but I know, like, given the comics history, sidekicks were something that were introduced to kind of to get comic books back to that kind of kid friendly nature. There was a period of time where they got a little mm-hmm. bit more mature, but the sidekicks were definitely a way to kind of get the kids back into it, which is you know appropriate given that this is a a kid show, so. Um, but that's that's really an interesting point that you, you bring up. I don't have a lot of exposure to the Titans TV series, but uh, that's definitely a uh, it puts a different light onto it. <laughs> I'll say that much. So, but a very dark light. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But um, as far as you brought up Aqualad and uh, his introduction there, as or you brought up his character design, he's got the the red vest and whatnot, as well as the tattoos that light up, and they are actually. Uh, they're pretty uh, significant to his power set. Do you want to get into a little bit about uh, about that? You might have some uh, more experience into the actual ins and outs of what's he what he's pulling off there as far as the uh, bioelectricity goes. So my f- my favorite thing about his character is the swords. That could be the the martial artist in me, but mm. what it basically is is he has two handles and he manipulates the water that's around him. So whether he has some water on him. Or whether it's the water around, like he can make, he can manifest weapons from that. So he'll make a mace, he'll make a sword, he'll make whips, things of that sort. Things of that sort, excuse me. Hmm. As far as the bioelectricity go, I feel like that is a source of magic of his. I'm not sure if they've addressed it in the show at any point, or if this is something you're supposed to know about the character. Hmm. Um, but but the tattoos that are going down his arm. You can see on the back of his hand, it's actually the head of a snake. Oh, okay. I don't. So it's it's two snakes going up the arm and into the back. 
Interesting. I hadn't picked up on that. That's cool, though. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I I honestly can't remember. I, I think the electricity is part of his powers because magic is a very prominent thing in this TV series. As we'll see with future uh, characters and episodes that use it heavily. Mm. Um, but I can't remember specifically if it's something exclusive to Aqualad or if it's something that he's been taught in the magic realm because Aquaman's wife is a Queen Mira? Yeah, Queen Mira, that's correct. Yes, she hasn't been introduced yet, but like she's heavy on magic too. Mm. And Atlantis actually has a like a school and when they're training the warriors, everybody has a basic knowledge of how to use water or magic. Mm. So, if I remember correctly, the magic was included with the bioelectricity, but don't quote me on it. Okay. Yeah. Now, you brought up the uh, the weapons that he wields, and that's definitely a standout feature of the character. They're really cool. It's awesome to see them in action. And um, as far as his introduction goes, he and uh, his king, Aquaman, they're facing off against Killer Frost. And uh, it's, it's interesting. I think he has one of the more unique... Um, positions in terms of his relationship to his mentor and the fact that, uh, you know, Aquaman is his king. He's got the most utmost respect. And when, you know, Aquaman asks him if he's excited, he's he's kind of like, let's get the mission done first. I want to make sure I, I serve you and make you proud. And then now that that's done, yeah, of course I'm excited. This is a big day. What do you think about his his interactions and how he was able to broadcast or maybe not broadcast his excitement i think we see enough of the younger characters that are always like brash and don't want to listen to their mentors and go off and do their own thing so with a collection of people who are already like that it was nice seeing somebody who respects their master um Sorry, respects their mentor. Use better words. Hmm. Uh, they respect their mentors. They value what they have to teach. They value the skill set, and they show that level of regard. Because uh, he is a warrior, he is a soldier. So in his head, it's like if my if my higher up tells me to do something, I need it to be done. I have to be mission focused. I have to be a leader. I have to be prepared. Hmm. Uh, and that's. That's not something we see in young characters as much as we should. So it's nice that they're starting off the show showing that he has this ability of showing respect and working with other people. Yeah, that's an excellent point. He's even with our limited exposure to these characters, you know, in the in the first two episodes as they're kind of coming together, meeting each other and and becoming this team, it's really apparent um from the start that he is is probably the most level-headed of all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Robin certainly has, it can keep his cool, but you, you mentioned some of the younger characters. If I'm not mistaken, I think Robin might be the youngest of the bunch. Whereas we kind of previously mentioned, it's either Aqualad or Speedy that are the oldest. But anyway, uh, that leads us to our, our last member. He kind of falls somewhere in the middle as far as the age range goes. And that is uh kid flash, Mr. Wally West, who is uh very much the chief source of comedic relief, not unlike his mentor was in the in many iterations of the Justice League. What were your thoughts about uh, Kid Flash and his introduction? Yeah, he's definitely the goof of the crew. Um, <laughs> they make it pretty clear that Kid Flash and Robin are pretty tight. Mm. Like, you know, they keep in touch when they're in their own respective cities. Mm-hmm. And whenever they whenever they meet up, it's like they had just seen each other yesterday. So it's a cool bond that they have, especially with their mentors all being in the Justice League. You know they come across each other's paths pretty often, but for them to actually have that friendship was a cool thing to see. But he's definitely like his mentor. Uh, Flash and Kid Flash are both just goofs and reckless with their powers and don't know how to keep track of time, and, <laughs> which is ironic being the fastest people alive. Right, right. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's fun nature. You know, he's still kind of getting a grasp of his power. He's a little bit reckless because you can see that when he's fighting uh, whoever it was in the Cold family, like he actually took a hit to the shoulder when he was Captain Cold. Yes, yes. He actually took a hit to the shoulder because he was just like, he was rash at that point. He was like, I want to keep going. I don't 
care that this guy is like attacking me right now. Like I'll take this hit. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because that was definitely something I noticed about the scene. Um, it's kind of a trope among speedsters that they there is a certain amount of impatience there, and as he and Flash are kind of circling around, yeah, as you mentioned, he makes the call to kind of butt in there, takes the hit to the shoulder. It's not fatal, but he's able to get the gun away from Captain Cold. But that doesn't really end up mattering all that much because, ironically, the two speedsters are the last ones to to show up. <laughs> Wally West makes that very clear that he's not happy about it, but it's like, you see the, the smile on Barry Allen's face, like, yeah, what's new? <laughs> yeah, and uh, one of my favorite things is they're, like, approaching the Hall of Justice here, and it's finally this day. We've been introduced to um, the core members of this crew here. They're excited for this stage, and we're almost, or we should be just exci- as excited as them after seeing all this action and whatnot, but as they're approaching the Hall of Justice, you hear all the people in the crowd like, oh, there they are, who's this, who's that? And somebody says something along the lines, uh, oh, is that Speedy? He's like, no, no, that's Kid Flash. Speedy is Green Arrow's sidekick. And he's like, well, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. Yeah, it was a great moment. <laughs> it's Flash Jr. And that's one of the things, too. Like, it's it's an ongoing thing in the series where it's like they're trying to get the respect of their name. And people just aren't having it. They're just like, you're not one of the big heroes. Like, we really don't care. Like, we're, you're just a celebrity with a face in front of us right now. And they're very frustrated with it being that scenario. Mm. Well, frustrated is a, a good word to use because the, the tone kind of shifts as everyone was so excited and looking forward to this day. It's kind of a, a deflating moment as we actually get into the hall of justice and they're like all right uh you guys have access to the gym and the library make yourselves at home uh we're gonna take this more important and confidential call over here and everybody but speedy is is pretty cool with that they're like all right let's just slump down on the couch but speedy's like immediately like uh hold up this was supposed to be the day and uh that's when we find out that uh green arrow was not uh as protective with some information as he should have been as far as the actual headquarters for the Justice League goes, he knows that it's actually uh, located in a satellite that orbits space, which uh, I, was another one of my favorite moments there. Uh, the, f- the first time I watched it, I noticed that Batman definitely gave some uh, gave Green Arrow a menacing look, but it's not just uh, Batman. It's also pretty much every member that's there. Their eyes narrow on him. And he- You're invited to take a vacation from everybody else's vacation. To a place where you can explore cypress swamps and magical gardens. And see a 65-foot waterfall that once powered an old mill that you can walk through today. Or just float along the cool, rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. See the places and plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdoor adventure. Mississippi. Wanderers welcome. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard-to-recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. plastics can be so much more. Give the trash a second chance it was hoping hard-to-recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. He kind of gives that guilty smile. He's like, I thought it'd be okay. Or maybe not. Okay. But there's something about but, Batman doing it where you look at him and you're just like, oh, you're in trouble, Ollie. <laughs> That's right. But I was, I'm actually, uh, I was legitimately responsible surprised by how unrelenting uh speedy roy harper was in his lambasting uh, of not only the justice league and his mentor uh but you know his his fellow sidekicks and he's pretty clear about the fact that he thinks they're being treated like kids or even worse sidekicks and uh it really doesn't take much beyond that for him to to quit and i was a little surprised that green arrow didn't you know put up much of a fight at all i know they got that call for another mission that came in that kind of distracted them but um the moment still wasn't lost upon me what would you think about roy's departure yeah being told that a villain is trying to block the sun kind of takes priority over trying to chase after a kid yeah um but i feel like we we discussed roy harper's 
potentially being the oldest in the crew and I feel like that's kind of a factor on the way he reacted because Kid Flash and Robin probably haven't had to have dealt with it as long as Roy has. So if there is a four or five year difference between them and he finally gets his opportunity and he knows information that the others don't to still be told, hey, you're not ready. It's kind of like, well, screw you. Like, I've done this by myself before. I've worked on my own. I've been I've been dealing with this nonsense for X amount of years. Like, if you guys don't want to have me, then I'll just go do it by myself. Mm. Yeah. Um. So I, I see his frustration compared to the other three because from my understanding I think I remember this correctly but Wally West is Barry Allen's nephew in this show correct yeah Wally so he's grown up with it being in the family Mm. Robin was adopted by this is Dick Grayson by the way Dick Grayson Robin okay yeah I don't don't know if they mentioned that I don't think it's been established I was I was assuming that we're working with Dick Grayson um but I, I don't think there's been any concrete evidence that has, has stated that to be a fact in what I've viewed so far. Surprise, it's Dick Grayson. <laughs> I, I, like I said, I assumed as much. <laughs> so yeah, Dick Grayson was adopted by Bruce Wayne. So it's like he's grown up in this. It's For the two of them, for the three of them, even Aqualite, it's just kind of like you don't disrespect your king. So if he says something, you kind of go with it. Mm. So for the three of them, it's a matter of like, all right, like, we grew up with this. If you need us to wait, we'll wait. Like, they're frustrated, but it's not, like, the end of the world either until Roy kind of pokes at him to, like, maybe he has a point. And then it comes down to, like, kids being kids just want to be, like, rebellious against what the grown-ups told them. Um, one fun thing about the the Zeta tubes is that you see them, like, give a code number and then their name. Okay. The numbers are actually in the order that they join the Justice League. Interesting. I, I you know, I did... I did wonder because I noticed it, it kind of hopped around a little bit. The one that stuck out to me was uh, Red Tornado being 16, and I wondered because the other one started with zero. I I assumed that was because he was such a late addition, but I thought maybe it was the fact that he was an android. Maybe there was a different designation for artificial um, beings, but that makes sense that it's the, the order that they joined. Good catch there. Yeah, you actually end up getting a lot of backstory of... Um red tornado and how he was made and i'm not going to get into it but they actually do dwell into his backstory and i actually do have the list of active justice league members at this point in the order that they were initiated if you're interested in that yeah go for it that'd be cool to hear yeah all right so it starts off with the original seven so the founding members in order of initiation were superman batman wonder woman the flash hal jordan green lantern Aquaman and Martian Manhunter. Mm. So their numbers go in that order. So it'll be like zero one Superman, zero two Batman, and right. then after that it was Green Arrow, Hawkman, and then Hawkwoman. He was zero eight, right? Yes, Green Arrow would be eight. Hawkman would be nine. Hawkwoman would be ten. Oh. Uh, Zatara is eleven. Captain Adam is twelve. Black Canary is 13. John Stewart Green Lantern is 14. Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, is 15. And then Red Tornado is 16. And these are the active members at the beginning of Season 1. Very good. Cool. Kind of moving on from there, uh, we kind of mentioned part of the reason, you know, Roy doesn't get the attention that he necessarily deserves. I mean, he didn't really seem like he wanted anybody to go after them. But we get... Not one distress call, but two distress calls simultaneously. Um, the first of which was a fire at Cadmus, which immediately gets Batman's attention. He says something along the lines that he'd been looking into Cadmus for a while. Um, and then the second mission, you mentioned it was something blocking out the sun. Like uh, I didn't pick up on that as well. I, I saw that the character was a magician type. Um, I didn't pick his name up exactly, but... It sounded like he was connected to Zatanna. I'm familiar with Zatanna as a um, magic user in the DC universe, but I, I'm not quite sure who that gentleman was. Uh, can you give me more details on on that? It sounded like you you knew what was going on there a little bit more than I did. I don't remember who they mentioned, but they said that somebody mm. was doing something to block out the sun, and all leaguers are requested to yeah. assist. So Superman started off with. Uh, saying like hey there's this fire we should deal with it and then uh, Zatara, Zatara who is Zatanna's father 
is the one who came up and he was okay. like, hey, well, I need everyone's help on I that. guess it doesn't really matter who it was at the end of the day. The fact of the matter is it's something that required the full league's attention and kind of put us in this position where uh, these young heroes, you know, having just kind of felt like they were put to the side, they see, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. You, you guys have something bigger to deal with. Let us take care of this fire. And their mentors are like, uh, no, I know Flash specifically says you're not trained. And Kid Flash says, since when? And he says, you're not trained to work as part of this team, which is pretty critical because I think that's a major thrust going forward. We see them take up the mantle and decide to go on this mission anyway, but there are definitely some growing pains and they have to learn to work as a team. And it's it's a pretty cool th- thing to see, but we can kind of get into the exact details of that as we as we move on but they they do decide to uh go against their their mentor's orders and uh if i'm not mistaken it was kind of robin who leads the charge there right yeah they kind of bring it up aqualot kind of briefly says like oh well what can we do about it it's like well the computer does use the Batcave system yeah which i'm capable of hacking into and real quick the the magic villain is a uh, woten okay cool Thanks for looking that up. Uh, I'm not going to say any more about him because he comes up later, but okay. he is a magic user and a, a, a enemy of Zatara. Okay. I do, based on name alone, I don't recognize him, but uh, maybe... He's pretty cool looking. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, but, so, yeah. Anyway, picking up uh, after, you know, a little bit of del- deliberation, not much at all, I'd say at this point uh, the three of them are pretty much on the same page in terms of wanting to to get this done. Um, they make their way to Cadmus, where um, we kind of get to see those initial growing pains. Kid Flash is the first one to kind of rush in, and Aqualad makes the comment, does he always do this, just rush in without a plan? We need a plan. And he goes to look over to Robin, and and Robin's not there either. (laughs) Uh, But Robin actually saves Kid Flash from an uh, untimely fall there, but they make their way into the Cadmus lab, and... uh, Things are not what they seem pretty quickly. We get exposed to uh, some unsightly testing and projects going on. Yeah, on the on the entry of the building, I actually made a note that said they're definitely all used to working alone. Mm. With Aqualad being the only, like... Because he's part of, like, I guess Atlantis military, so he works with people. He's worked with warriors before. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other two only really work with their mentors or go on patrols on their own in their respective cities. Sure. Um, so for Aqualad to just kind of want to come up with a plan and then you see him um, saving some of the firefighters on his own and Robin's like, I knew you got it. So it's like Robin does have that the intel of knowing who's good at what, who's proficient at work, working with enough people to understand how they operate. But you see that lack of working in a team environment. Mm. And, yeah, as you said, you go in and uh, you see the the genomorphs, which is this mm. alien species that's been working on the sub-levels of Cadmus. The Cadmus mm. building itself is a front for, like, all these experiments that are going on. You see uh, Guardian yeah. being a hero that's, like, head of security. But these genomorphs, because of their telepathic abilities, are actually putting him under mind control so the head scientist that's there is like bossing him around so every time he's being a hero and trying to like doubt and think logically it's like oh what's robin doing over here like we need to go talk to them and not just go attack and it's like no we're gonna go attack and it's like meta uh jedi mind trick of i will go attack (laughs) and it's like yeah we can't let anybody know this is here because our uh, how did how did they describe it? The Cadmus uh, board of directors. Correct. Yeah. Would be very. Doctor, like would... the the guy's Doctor Desmond. He he constantly refers to the board, and I know at some point he says that they'll have his head, and the board serves the light. Um, don't have a lot of clarity on what the light is, but um, I think we we start to get some some idea by the end of this two episode arc. But uh, one of the things uh, about the ge- genomorphs, I don't know if the term genomorph uh, existed before or after the Alien movie, but I, g- I gotta believe that that's some kind of wink and nod to the xenomorphs, you know, from the Alien movies. <laughs> Gen- genetically altered xenomorphs, <laughs> maybe? <laughs> 
Yeah, let's let's go for that. I mean, they kind of resemble them in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of variants. You get like these ones, these lumbering ones that are kind of they walk on their their front limbs, kind of like a gorilla, and they're kind of like cave trolls. And then there are smaller ones that are a little more agile and reptilian. And, and then the ones that are like three stories tall that are able to like help with construction projects. And then the ones that actually operate, they walk and talk like humans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, we find that Cadmus is, they're basically creating these, they're genetically engineering an army, these living weapons. And uh, as they make their way deeper and deeper, they come across the ultimate of these weapons. And it's not something I think anyone was expecting to see. Um, Our character's chief among them, but it's... It looks to be a young Superman. So after some uh, deliberation, they decide to release him, which in the immediate consequences turns out to be uh, not the best idea uh, because this young Superman, uh, I guess he's a a clone, we'll say a genetically engineered clone of Superman. He is under the influence of these uh, genomorphs and immediately does what he is uh, was made to do, be the ultimate weapon. And he pretty quickly incapacitates the the three heroes um and it's it's pretty brutal i, I kind of talked to you um before we started re- recording but the the intensity of of this battle in particular is is pretty pretty intense without you know ever getting too graphic there's weight to every punch you know the power set that superboy has the super speed i i felt myself being very concerned for these heroes i i was afraid that there was going to be maybe maybe not everybody was going to make it out and after they get captured and, like, Superboy starts to contemplate and, like, mm. get his conscious of, like, should I help them? Like, you, you see him actually question, or was it Kid Flash who actually says, like, should we probably shouldn't piss off the person who could, like, blast us with heat vision. He was like, oh, lucky you guys, no heat vision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to get too deep into it, but one of the things that I really appreciate about the show is that one thing I, I'm not going to say hate that displeases me about DC comics and DC properties is when Superman is the strongest thing in the world mm. and like nothing can ever poke him. Right. They constantly show in this series that that's not the case. Like I want to say that him, Captain Adam, Shazam and Aquaman are about the same physical power level. Interesting. And they show that with the fight between uh, Superboy and Aqualad as well because they can go toe to toe their power level is about the same they just have different powers that like one beats the other type of thing mm. sure Superboy is stronger but you can see that they can actually like get into an engagement it's not like Aqualad just punching him and Superboy just standing there like haha this tickles yeah that's that's a totally fair point uh, it's it is pretty well balanced between um, the heavy hitters and Robin in particular knows that he's he's not the heaviest of hitters, and strategy is is one of his um, key components when it comes on to when it comes to taking on uh, enemies outside of his weight class. And they express that really well after they they break out Superboy, and he says you know, he basically joins the team at that moment. And then when Doctor Desmond takes that potion, I guess Project Blockbuster. Yeah, which made him, like, this giant Hulk-like behemoth. Um, You see that Kid Flash is obviously rash. Like, he's trying to use his speed to get the hits in. Superboy is, like, anger-filled punches. But, like, you see he has, like, he's actually aiming for certain things. So it's like when he was going up against Aqualand and pin him against the wall, like he was going and getting those kidney shots. He was getting the leg shots. He knows how to block. He knows how to... So he has fighting experience. Yeah, yeah. But the whole time, Robin is just kind of like, I know I can't do this. So it's like, let me observe, analyze, and come up with a solution, which ended up being taking down the columns and dropping the whole building, mm. which I didn't... It didn't click to me the first time I watched this, but before recording, when I watched it again, I was like, I love how they went there because the building was on fire, and now they're leaving with the whole building just being in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's no more fire. (laughs) It's like, yeah, despite the consequences, good job. (laughs) Uh, But it's kind of, I like the fact that you mentioned that um, Superboy and Aqualad are kind of on equal terms in regards to their power level because it is Aqualad 
there's kind of a begrudging mutual respect there. Aqualad is kind of the one that's able to get through to him. Um, and I, I guess it's revealed that uh, Aqualad has some some level of, of telepathic ability because he's able to to reach in and get to, through to Superboy uh, despite the, the Genomorph influence. And that's when, you know... I'm actually going to I'm going to cut you off yeah, on please. that. I thought about that and it actually isn't telepathic ability. It's Aqualad understanding Superman's powers enough uh, to know that he has super hearing. That's awesome. So it's okay. Aqualad speaking softly enough that Dr. Desmond and Guardian don't realize he's talking, but Superboy can actually hear him down the hall. Oh, that's awesome. I'm so glad you you clarified that. Yeah, that makes so much more sense. I'm I'm glad, but uh either way it still endears him to to Aqualad in some way, so he comes back, and that's when you get that kind of funny comment about, uh, do, you, do you really want to, you know, tick off the guy that could fry us with one look? And he's like, that's when he's throughout this episode, we get we kind of get to see him test his abilities. He doesn't have heat vision, um, you know. They're down there on the forty second level uh, when you know Doctor Desmond releases all the genomorphs on every single level and that's when it's kind of like this escape from the tower that's when they really come into their own and have to figure out how to work as a team to get up these 42 levels and that's where you get to see you know superboy be the brawler uh but as far as him testing his powers you have that really nice moment in the elevator where he goes to jump up and he's like oh superman can fly why can't i fly and you can tell it, it really so heartbroken. Yeah, you can really tell it really hit him. But then, of course, Wally's right there, and it's like, hey, man, it looks like you can you can leap buildings in a single bound. That's not bad. And those are the little things where it's like, if you've watched prior shows or read comics or whatnot, it's those it's those little one liners where it's like, I know where you got that from. They're really holding true to like the source material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, but their creativity is really something else. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, you know. In the final confrontation here, Guardian does get taken out pretty easily, and then it really does come down to them fully working as a team, and that involves employing Robin's uh, penchant for strategy. They're able to take out all the pillars and effectively drop the building on on Doctor Desmond and, and incapacitate him. Uh, I guess it's it's important to kind of rewind a little bit. There was a character that was like the chief. Uh, uh, I find myself wanting to say Xenomorph if I have to actually like focus to say Xenomorph. <laughs> uh, but I guess his name was Double X, and he kind of reveals that he was the chief instigator or catalyst for this whole series of events. He's the one that started the fire at Cadmus because he wanted to give Superboy the opportunity to choose, and he ultimately chooses freedom. Yeah, there's definitely... Um... Again, without trying not to get too much into future episodes but there is a big story with them and extraterrestrial characters on a whole level Mm. because as i mentioned there's two green lanterns who are already in the justice league and they they they're actually like ambassadors and uh i'm forgetting liaisons they're liaisons Mm. with the lantern corps so they are actually protecting their sector and there's a lot of stuff that happens so the world is familiar with aliens. They don't know about the Watchtower, which I like that they pointed out, that, like, the world doesn't know the Watchtower is there. That's not... No one knows that's where the Justice League operates. Right. That actually is a Justice League secret. Mm-hmm. But aliens are not so much a secret because they do operate um, outside of the planet. Right, right. And that's that's something that happens a lot in this series. Yeah, you bring that up. It was a really cool moment after... Uh... I guess Desmond, after he takes Project Blockbuster, that's actually uh, a nod to a character from the the comics because you know Superman refers to him as the blockbuster, blockbuster creature later on. But it was really cool to see like the full league kind of descend upon our heroes in this in the midst of this rubble. And you know, I I noted I definitely noticed at least two or three Green Lanterns amongst them. Uh, Captain Adam, it was kind of cool to see him. Shazam, you definitely see Hot Girl. And uh, definitely one of the things that kind of stood out to me about the scene is when Superboy gets to see the moon for the first time, they told him that they would they would show him the moon and Superman, but he gets to see both simultaneously. And it's a little bit of an ominous moment. Uh, Superman is, is obviously visibly disturbed by the presence of Superboy, as is the entire League. Superboy kind of announces himself, I'm Superman's clone. But it it's 
really interesting to see Superman. He's normally so sure of himself and so um, such a stalwart representation of what it is to be a hero. It's kind of interesting to see him unnerved and not not sure what to do in this situation, even though uh, it's a very brief exposure with Superboy that he has there. You catch that in Batman's dialogue, too, where he, like, obviously he doesn't have many facial expressions, but the way that he says, is that what I think it is? Mm. Like, that's something they've worried about before. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, for like, when I first watched the show, like, I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't know anything about it. It was just kind of like, okay, these people keep talking about it. I might as well give it a shot. Mm. So if the ending of the first episode of seeing Superboy didn't make me go, oh, shit... Yeah. All the Justice League member flying in, like, I was ecstatic. Like, at that point, when I realized that not only are these characters involved, but they come up frequently, mm. and they're actually a part of the story, and they actually matter, that's when I was like, oh, I'm sold. This isn't just a show about sidekicks. Like, sure, it's heavy on the quote-unquote sidekicks, but these guys are a huge factor in everything that happens going forward. Mm. Well, that's, that definitely bodes well, and that, that makes me excited to continue to, to cover the series. I mean, it's obviously got a, an audience that's so passionate about it for a reason, but um, you, you compared it to one of your favorite fandoms before as, as, as far as being up there with the MCU for you, and I think one of the things that is so successful about the MCU is that interconnectivity, that uh, it rewards people you know, for coming back, for repeat viewings, for catching those references, for understanding those re- relationships between characters. So, if, I mean, if that's something to look forward to, uh, it definitely, definitely makes me excited. Uh, but just to kind of put a little capstone on these on these first two episodes in terms of uh, the arc that we see our characters take, in terms of the Justice League, you know, descending upon them and kind of voicing their concern, I won't say disapproval, I'll say concern, um, they kind of make it seem like they're going to put the kibosh. It's like, all right, we appreciate the results here, but this kind of thing is not happening again. And that's where you get to see Superboy and his full angst kind of come out and say... Uh, it, this is happening. You can either get with it or get out of the way. And that's that's a really cool way to end the episode because that's that's really what these, these kind of heroes are all about. It's it's stepping into their own, making their own decisions, and um, fighting the good fight. I think Batman, later on in the series, he says... Uh, actually, I think it was in this episode when they when they make their way to their, their new headquarters. He says, if you guys are you know determined to fight the good fight, you're going to do it on league terms. But that's when we get introduced to a few more characters. You want to talk about any of those? Yeah, uh, Superboy's definitely got some balls for only being 16 weeks old and talking up to <laughs> Batman like that. Uh, so yeah, they do go to their new lair, and Batman makes it very clear that the Justice League is so busy with the big stuff and the big villains and the stuff that the population of the world can see that they need a covert team. And that's what the four of now five of them because they introduced miss martian at the end of it uh you'll see more about her later but they they make it very clear it's like you know what these guys are getting smarter we do need to to operate on a more discreet level um like batman's known for doing in gotham and they're the guys to do it they're like all right you guys have enough skill set but here's the rules you work under the justice league red tornado is going to be your um your your what do they call it in boy scouts the the den scout the den mom <laughs> the scout leader or the uh i wasn't i wasn't in boy scouts long enough to, to be able to pull that I think one it was off a den top. mom or something like that okay. but yeah uh red tornado is going to be like the uh the, the rn of the dorms like he's going to be living there he's going to be supervising right and then when the league needs him he goes out black canary comes in and not only is she they're in charge of their training but she actually she feeds the role of like a psychologist down the road too so it's like there's a lot of debriefs that happen with her so she's making sure that everyone's mental state is good just as much as their physical state very cool and then uh my favorite part of it because i love batman so much batman actually assigns the missions yes so before they go out batman goes into their lair and he is like here's the problem this is what you guys are gonna do like, you guys report to me and me alone. 
Yeah. Which is like, I get to see Batman in every episode, yay! <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. You kind of get a feeling for how the series is going to go forward in terms of the roles that everybody's going to be serving. And uh, Batman is very much their, their M, if, uh, if you're a James Bond fan, or uh, their Charlie for Charlie's Angels, that's probably outside mm. of this particular fandom's <laughs> taste, but you get the reference. Uh, but uh, just, just yeah, just to kind of encapsulate what took place over this, you know, uh, we get to we get to see the formation of this Young Justice team battling um, against Cadmus, and uh, it's it just does a really good job of uh, showcasing what everybody brings to the team doing a good job of uh, giving us a nice taste of their personality. And I've already really praised uh, the animation style as well as the action, but uh, I think it's worth bringing up that the voice acting is top-notch. Um, it's it, There's not a single weak, weak performance in there. It's all believable. It never takes me out of it. So, I mean, if, if this is the level of quality we have to look forward, um, I'm, I'm really excited. I know we said that I don't keep up with the behind the scenes stuff too much, but when I was watching the the credits, I totally forgot that Jesse McCartney was the voice of Robin. Oh yeah, yeah. For all the uh, the Disney Channel singing days, so yeah. <laughs> when I saw that, I, like "Beautiful Soul" just got stuck in my head right away. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. There uh, was uh, just one more note that I had that I wanted to mention. Yeah, of course. Uh, when when everybody was encapsulated, Doctor Desmond started to say like okay begin the cloning process of the sidekick Hmm. i loved robin's line of the bat cave is crowded enough as it is (laughs) there is a lot of little nods like that that hint to the fact that there's more characters and more stuff going on behind the scenes that all come in later and this being um dick grayson you know that there's other characters in the bat family that could potentially be popping up Hmm. All right. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, good knowledge to keep in the back pocket there. Uh, I guess the only only really last thing I've got here is I guess this will kind of inform some of the the threads for the season going forward. I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is a pretty self-contained uh, story arc here, but we do get a little stinger at the end where we see um, the board, or I, I don't know if this is the board or the light, who they're supposed to be exactly, but it's it's basically you get it's kind of that classic look where it's a a board of anom- anonymous leaders where they're all kind of obscured and they're on these uh, digital monitors, but um, they they basically allude to the fact that even though Superboy got away and he's a part of this team, it's not necessarily a loss on their end. They can still find ways to use them to th- use him to their advantage. So. That's definitely something I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on. That wasn't lost on me. I'm just going to sit and listen to your speculation of who you think who they are and what their goals are because I don't want to accidentally spill anything. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see because I, I have to kind of think that their their purposes aren't entirely nefarious because when Superboy first introduced himself and he's kind of talking about the things that he learned. Uh, from the Genomorphs is that he was created to replace the Superman should he ever perish or destroy him if he ever turns from the light. So that's the question. It's like, what does it mean to turn from the light? Because obviously they seem okay with how Superman is currently operating. And maybe that, maybe there's something going on that I don't know about. I I mentioned the fact that this is a Superman that seems a little more unnerved than previous iterations. So maybe there is, I can see you kind of biting your lip there. So, but this is this seems like a good place to kind of uh, um, wrap up our thoughts here. And uh, I, I I think this was a good conversation and a, a great debut episode for animation deliberation um, for our listeners. I, I certainly hope they enjoyed it and they'll uh, continue this journey with us as we as we tackle not only um, you know the various arcs of season one, but we'll cover season two, season three. And then I'm, I'm hoping sooner rather than later here we get an official release date for Season 4 and we can really kind of uh, schedule things out and, and attack this thing with uh, a lot of momentum. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this rewatch because there's, there's so much speculation after every episode. And that's why I hold it to an MCU regard because the, the possibilities of where they go and what they do are endless and they find ways to surprise you. 
All right. Well, I think that unless you have anything else you want to offer there, uh, we'll kind of wrap things up here. For the Animation Deliberation Podcast, my name is J. Scotty St. Clair. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J. Scott For Real. Thank you for joining us today. Stay whelmed. Yeah, we'll look forward to hearing from more from myself and Zuhair, and uh, look forward to all the great shows on the Stranded Panda Network. We've got the MCU podcast, the Star Wars Universe podcast, the Star Trek Universe podcast, as well as DC On Screen. It's a great family of podcasts that are geared towards entertainment along these lines. If you're geeky, nerdy, um, have any level of interest in any of these kind of fandoms, uh, Stranded Panda is the place for you. So all you animation fans... Tell your friends, tell your family. Take care. Stay whelmed. Right here in your neighborhood. Here's a little tale about hard to recycle plastics. Their destinies were changed. Their new lives are fantastic. What once was trash can live on as new things with a program that complements your regular recycling. Plastics can be so much more. Give the trash a second chance it was. Hard to recycle plastics can be so much more. Participate in the Hefty Energy Bag program happening in your neighborhood today. There's a highway that stretches across the 93 days of summer where worship isn't offered to the sun, but to the smoking tire, the S curve, and the spin turn. And if you ride it, make sure you do it in a Dodge Charger, Challenger, or Durango. Because on this highway, the line's being blurred are the ones between drivers and demons. Welcome to Highway 93. Dodge is a registered trademark.